Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be from the Book of Omni. However, this book is actually going to have five different authors. We have Omni, Amaron, Chemish, Abinadam, and Amalekai. So these are the five authors that we're going to have in the Book of Omni here. Uh, each of them writes a little bit. One actually just writes one verse. Uh, so this is the end of the small plates of Nephi that we have. After this, we'll have the words of Mormon. Uh, which will be a transition between uh, the, these small plates and the large plates, which begins with the Book of Mosiah. So let's begin with the uh, Book of Omni, uh, verse 1. Behold, it came to pass that I, Omni, being commanded by my father, Jerem, that I should write somewhat upon these plates to preserve our genealogy. There again, Omni's got his name in there to preserve the genealogy. Wherefore, in my days, I would that ye should know that I fought much with the sword, the king probably used the sword of Laban. Omni does not mention that he had it, but by the time we get to King Benjamin, he had the sword of Laban. And so it must likely have been kept by the kings. Uh, continuing verse 2, to preserve my people, the Nephites, from falling into the hands of their enemies, the Lamanites. But behold, I of myself am a wicked man, and I have not kept the statutes and the commandments of the Lord as I ought to have done. It need not, this is from the documentary of the Book of Mormon, it need not be supposed from such an admission that he was guilty of any gross immorality, but rather that he was not zealous in honoring the law of Moses and in keeping other religious obligations. Not having lived according to the Spirit, he was not prepared to teach or write after the manner of the Spirit, and therefore found it necessary to pass the plates to his son Amaron without making any spiritual addition to them. Verse 3, And it came to pass that 270 and six years had passed away, and we had many seasons of peace, and we had many seasons of serious war and bloodshed. Yea, and in fine, 280 and two years had passed away, and I had kept these plates according to the commandments of my fathers, and I conferred them upon my son Amaron. And I make an end. Verse 4, Now I, Amaron, write the things whatsoever I write, which are few in the book of my father, Behold, it came to pass that 320 years had passed away, and the more wicked part of the Nephites were destroyed. So a long time goes by here in just a few verses. Verse 6, And uh, for the Lord could not, would not suffer after he had led them out of the land of Jerusalem, and kept and preserved them from falling into the hands of their enemies. Yea, he would not suffer that the words should not be verified, which he spoke unto our fathers, saying that inasmuch as ye will not keep my commandments, ye shall not prosper in the land. Wherefore, the Lord did visit them in great judgment. Nevertheless, he did spare the righteous, that they should not perish, but did deliver them out of the hands of their enemies. And it came to pass that I did deliver the plates unto my brother Chemish. And that's verse 8. This word means fifth. He, he may have been the fifth since Nephi, or the fifth son in his family. So Chemish it, it coincides with the English word that means, that means fifth. Verse 9, now I, Chemish, Chemish has the distinction of writing only one verse. He contributes less to the Book of Mormon than any other author. What a distinction. Now I, Chemish, write what few things I write in the same book with my brother. For behold, I saw the last which he wrote, that he wrote it with his own hand. And he wrote it in the day that he delivered them unto me. And after this manner we keep the records, for it is according to the commandments of our fathers. 
Joseph Fielding Smith said, the importance of record in, of, of keeping individual records should be impressed upon each member of the church. Let each member of the church ask himself or herself the following questions. Do I know the date of my birth? Do I know the date of my baptism? Confirmation, by whom were these ordinances performed? Do the brethren know when they are, were ordained to offices in the Aaronic Priesthood and by whom? Do they know who conferred upon them the Melchizedek Priesthood and when? All of these things are important and no member should rely solely on the record of the church for this information. Records may be burned or get lost. This has frequently happened. Members of the church are writing constantly to bishops, presidents of stakes, and to the historian's office seeking this kind of information, which cannot be obtained in many instances. All important dates and events should be recorded in your family history. If any member of the church desires to keep a full and complete journal of his life, it, it is well and good. But each member should have a record of the vital events in his life in some permanent manner. And then at the end of verse 9, and I make an end. Verse 10, Behold, I, Abinadam, am the son of Chemish. Behold, it came to pass that I saw much war and contention between the, my people and the Nephites and the Lamanites, and I, with my own sword, again, the spiritual leader did not have the sword of Laban, it was kept by the kings, have taken the lives of many of the, of the Lamanites in the defense of my brethren. And behold, the record of this people is engraven upon plates which is had by the kings. The kings kept the large plates while the small plates were kept in Lehi's family among the prophets, according to the generations. And I know of no revelation save that which has been written, neither prophecy, whether that which is sufficient is written. And I make an end. Behold, I am Amalekai. Amalekai wrote most of the book of Omni, the son of Abinadam. Behold, I will speak unto you somewhat concerning Mosiah, who was made king over the land of Zarahemla. For behold, he being warned of the Lord that he should flee out of the land of Nephi, He's commanded to flee like Lehi was commanded to flee from Jerusalem. Sometimes the righteous can no longer remain in a wicked area. Their good influence does no good, and they are in danger of losing their lives. Then the Lord commands them to depart from the wicked. In the future, the members of the church will need to flee the wickedness of the world by going to Zion, Jackson County. But as Elder Holland said in the conference talk, there's no places left to go, and so we need to be righteous within our own stakes of Zion and build up the stakes as best we can. Continuing verse 12, and as many as would hearken unto the voice of the Lord should also depart out of the land with him into the wilderness. President Anthony V. Ivins said, there is a great deal of talk about the geography of the Book of Mormon. Where was the land of Zarahemla? Where was the city of Zarahemla? And other geographic matters. It does not make any difference to us. There has never been anything yet set forth that definitely settles that question. So the church says, we are just waiting until we discover the truth. All kinds of theories have been advanced. I have talked with at least half a dozen men that have found the very place where the city of Zarahemla stood, and notwithstanding the fact that they profess to be the be Book of Mormon students, they vary a thousand miles apart in the places they have, they have located. We do not offer any definite solution. As you study the Book of Mormon, keep these things in mind and do not, do not make definite statements concerning things that have not been proven in advance to be true. Harabee Lee said, don't be concerned over Book of Mormon geography. Some may some say the Hill Cumorah was in southern Mexico, and someone pushed it down still further, and not in western New York. Well, if the Lord wanted us to know where it was or where Zarahemla was, he'd have given us latitude and longitude, don't you think? And why bother our hearts, our, why bother our heads trying to discover with archaeological certainty the geographical locations of the cities of the Book of Mormon, like Zarahemla? The witness of the Book of Mormon is not found in the ruins of Central and South America. They may be outward evidences of a people long since disappeared. The real witness is that which is found in the Book of Mormon itself. 
Verse 13, And it came to pass that he did according as the Lord had commanded him. And they departed out of the land into the wilderness, as many as would hearken unto the voice of the Lord. And they were led by many preachings and prophesyings, and they were admonished continually by the word of God. And they were led by the people by the power of his arm through the wilderness until they came down, not south, but to a lower elevated area, into the land which is called the land of Zarahemla. And they discovered a people who were called the people of Zarahemla. Now these are the Mulekites from the tribe of Judah. Mulek and his people arrived in the north, while the Lehites arrived in the south. Now there were there was great rejoicing among the people of Zarahemla, and also Zarahemla did did rejoice exceedingly. <clears throat> you can imagine their excitement when they met somebody from the lands of Jerusalem. Because the Lord had sent the people of Mosiah with the plates of brass which contained the record of the Jews. Behold, it came to pass that Mosiah discovered that the people of Zarahemla came out from Jerusalem at the time that Zedekiah, king of Judah, was carried away captive into Babylon. Hugh Nibley said, Nowhere are we told that Mulek was the leader of the company, and indeed at his age, that would be unthinkable. His father Zedekiah was only about 31 when he was taken prisoner and blinded. But as the sole survivor of the royal family and their an heir presumptive to the throne, he was certainly the most important person in the company, a source of legitimate pride to the group. The name tells everything. Mulek is not found anywhere in the Bible, but any student of Semitic languages will instantly recognize it as the best-known form of diminutive or caritative, a term of affection and endearment, meaning little king. What could they call the uncrowned child, last of, last of his line, but their little king? And what could they call themselves but Mulekea or Mulekites? Elder Talmadge said, The prophet Joseph Smith informed us that Ishmael was of the lineage of Ephraim, and that his sons married into Lehi's family, and Lehi's sons married Ishmael's daughters. Thus, these descendants of Manasseh and Ephraim grew together upon this American continent with a sprinkling from the house of Judah from Mulek, descended who left Jerusalem 11 years after Lehi, and founded the colony afterwards known as Zarahemla, found by Mosiah, thus making a combination, an intermixture of Ephraim and Manasseh with the remnants of Judah, and for aught we know, the remnants of some other tribes that might have accompanied Mulek, and such other and such have grown up upon the American continent. And that was from Erastus Snow. Verse 16, And they journeyed in the wilderness, and were brought by the hand of the Lord across the great waters into the land, the northern area, where Mosiah discovered them, and they had dwelt, dwelt there from that time forth. And at the time that Mosiah discovered them, they had become exceedingly numerous. Nevertheless, they had had many wars and serious contentions, and had fallen by the sword from time to time. And their language had become corrupted, and they had brought no, and they had brought no records with them. And they denied the being of their Creator. And Mosiah, nor the people of Mosiah, could understand them. But it came to pass that Mosiah caused that they should be taught in his language. And it came to pass that after they were taught in the language of Mosiah. Zarahemla gave a genealogy of his fathers according to his memory, and they were written, and they are written, not but, but not in these plates. So they must have been on the on the large plates then. And it came to pass that the people of Zarahemla and of Mosiah did unite together, and Mosiah was appointed to be their king. And it came to pass in the days of Mosiah there was a large stone brought unto him with engravings on it, and he did interpret the engravings by the gift and power of God. And they gave an account of one Coriantumr and the slain of his people. These are the Jaredites. And Coriantumr was discovered by the people of Zarahemla, and he dwelt with them from the space, for the space of nine moons. The Coriantumr, who lived, the, who lived among the people of Zarahemla for a short period of time, was the last military leader of the Jaredite nation. 
The Book of Mormon does not specifically state when Coriantumr lived with the people of Zarahemla, but it would have to be sometime after 589 BC when the colony of Mulek first left Jerusalem and before around 200 BC when Mosiah and his group first came into the land of Zarahemla. The 20th verse of Omni tells of a large stone that was brought to Mosiah and which contained an account of Coriantumr. However, this does not necessarily indicate that Coriantumr was still alive in the days of Mosiah. His stay of nine moons among the people of Zarahemla could have occurred decades or even centuries before the time of Mosiah. Verse 22, it also spake a few words concerning his fathers and his first parents came out from the tower at the time the Lord confounded the language of the people and the, and the severity of the Lord fell upon them according to his judgments, which are just, and their bones lay scattered in the land northward. Behold, I, Amalekai, was born in the days of Mosiah, and I have lived to see his death, and Benjamin, his son, reigned in, reigneth in his stead. And behold, I have seen in the days of King Benjamin a serious war and much bloodshed between the Nephites and the, and the Lamanites. But behold, the Nephites did obtain much advantage over them, yea, insomuch that King Benjamin did drive them out of the land of Zarahemla. And it came to pass that I began to be old, and having no seed, Amalekai has no children, so he passed the record to Benjamin. And knowing that King Benjamin had to be a just man before the Lord, wherefore I shall deliver up these, meaning the small plates of Nephi, unto him, exhorting all men to come unto God, the Holy One of Israel, and believing in prophesying and in revelations, and in the ministering of angels, and in the gift of speaking with tongues, and in the gift of interpreting languages, and in all things which are good. For there is nothing which is good, save it comes from the Lord, and that which is evil cometh from the devil." Verse 26, And now, my beloved brethren, I would that ye should come unto Christ, who is the Holy One of Israel, and partake of his salvation and the power of his redemption. Yea, come unto him and offer your whole souls as an offering unto him. Elder Maxwell said, Real personal sacrifice never was placing an animal on the altar. Instead, it is a willingness to put the, the animal in us upon the altar and letting it be consumed. The submission of one's will is placing on God's altar the only uniquely personal thing one has to place there. The many other things we give are actually the things he has already given or loaned to us. Continuing verse 26, And continue in fasting and praying, and endure to the end, and as the Lord liveth, ye will be saved. And now I would, I, I would speak somewhat concerning a certain number who went up, again up in elevation, into the wilderness to return to the land of Nephi, for there was a large number who were desirous to possess the land of their inheritance. These were led by a strong and mighty man named Zenith. The story being referred to is found in Mosiah chapter 9. Zenith takes a group of people from their new home in Zarahemla back to the land of Nephi. Apparently, his memory was that the grass was considerably greener in the land of Nephi. After a violent contention along the way, the party turned back with only 50 surviving. On a second attempt, Zenith and his followers were successful in settling in the land of Nephi. They become the people of King Noah and King Limhi, who are eventually forced into slavery to the Lamanites. The entire story is in Mosiah chapters 9 through 22. Verse 28, Wherefore they went up into the wilderness, and their leader being a strong and mighty man, and a stiff-necked man, wherefore he caused a contention among them, and they were all slain, save fifty, in the wilderness, and they returned again to the land of Zarahemla. And it came to pass that as they also, they also took others to a considerable number and took their journey again into the wilderness. <clears throat> and I, Amalekai, had a brother who also went with them, and I have not since known concerning them. And I am about to lie down in my grave, and these plates, meaning the small plates, are full, and I make an end of my speaking. 
That part of the Book of Mormon that comes from the small plates of Nephi ends at this point. Following the words of Mormon, the Book of Mormon is an abridgment from the large plates of Nephi with occasional excerpts from, these, from those plates and with interpolations and writings from Mormon and Moroni. We know that, uh, that the remaining, remaining part of the plates is an abridgment from Mormon and that uh, the, plate, the small plates of Nephi are not abridgments at all, but they were just translated straight from the small plates. We know that the small plates were translated after Joseph had finished translating the large plates. So when he finishes the book of Moroni and picks up the small plates, then he begins his translation of 1 Nephi. And so the, the translation process was really out of sequence. But when he realizes that the first chapter of 1 Nephi is, is, is of the beginning of their travels, he recognizes that that's the same time frame from the 116 pages that were lost. I bear testimony that what we're reading is translated material, that this was translated by the gift and power of God, and that Joseph Smith did not write this. In fact, there's a recent uh, publication that I noticed where uh, a father and son did a, a recent study using statistics to determine the, whether the Book of Mormon is factual or uh, nonfiction, or I'm sorry, whether it's fictional or nonfictional, and it's billions and billions and billions to one being fiction that they're saying that this had to be translated material and it's factual historical account. I bear testimony that that's true, not because of the statistics, but because of the Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. See you next time.